0: You were like,
1: oh, I mean, I'm was, like
0: I'm in the mid camp doldrums. Yeah, and uh, he, like he followed it completely and went right with it.
1: I was appreciative of that. I needed that. I actually did then get out and rode out my kickoff frustrations on a on a bicycle for about an hour.
0: Well, somebody's got to do it. We, we got a lot of frustrations, but it'll get to a point where it's uh where it's good, and we don't need to take bike rides.
1: All we're doing is just trying to publish a 300 page magazine without the magazine paper. That's All awesome. the
0: pages. But honestly, the thing that's frustrating that, you know, I may I might need to take a two mile ride is, uh, you know, some of these coaches, for whatever reason, and they don't owe us an interview or anything. Nobody. We're not entitled to their time. But by the same token, like you're not guarding state secret if you don't want to, if you don't, if you can't tell us you're left guard candidates for your five and five team in a pretty good conference, you know, I, I don't get it.
1: Yeah, right. It's not something that's not going to get picked up in the first couple series of live football, let alone on tape by your second, third, fourth, etc. Uh, opponent of the season. What's the big deal? I, I've I've had so many coaches, and I, I now I'm since I'm talking to thirty coaches a year, I, I've probably talked to hundreds and hundreds of coaches for these so far, and I've never had anybody uh, give me a hard time about it. People are pretty forthcoming, and I feel that they should be. What do you have to lose by getting? publicity for your program in this way
0: well and it's not just publicity for your program it's like you're speaking directly to your fans right like the opposing coaches are have ways to find out what you're doing and you know what what kind of talent you have coming back whether it's people they know that have played against you or scrimmaged you or or whatever or like we said they'll see they'll yeah. pick up more in the first quarter of game video than we'll see you know that we can tell them in kickoff. all we're doing really is communicating to the people who care enough about football to, to, to pay $10 for a preview. And this year they have a couple of weeks to, to really digest it and go through it. So we want that that preview to contain as much new information as possible. And most everybody's helpful, but it, it is just funny. We've, got, we've run into a few roadblocks here and there. Football fans,
1: it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. We're the largest division of the NCAA and we have the smallest schools. And uh, I'm Pat Coleman. I've been running D3Football.com since uh, 1999. Keith McMillan, the co-host, has been involved with it since 1999 as well. And Keith, I'm liking this Skype really well. What are you liking about the new version of Skype?
0: I've had this new version for whenever whenever a year, two years, they made me update it before you did. So you're you're pointing out all these great features that I'm like, oh, is that
1: that new? What's new is that it sounds really good to me. I hope that it uh, sounds good to our audience because that's important. As we bring you our our podcast for July 2018, we're getting uh, to the point where camps are going to open in a couple of weeks. Or the way that Keith and I have been looking at this deadline over the course of the last couple of months or so, this is when kickoff drops. (laughs) On August 9th, uh, and as, as I've been talking to coaches, Keith, uh, that's basically around the time camps are opening for, at least for everybody who's playing in week one. That's coming to right right around the same time that we're going to drop kickoff. It's going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's really a compressed beginning of the season. First games are August 30th. And so, uh, you know, if people are reporting third week of August, you basically have a couple of weeks. And uh, we'll talk to some coaches later in the podcast who who talk about how you break up that compressed schedule because you only have a limited number of practices. You want to get your your players some off days. And so you got to uh, put a lot in, in in a short period of time. And, and that's kind of what we're doing with kickoff as well. Uh, having a group of, of people fan out, reach all 250 coaches, ask them what they have coming back and, uh, and, and tell a few stories about this coming season as well.
1: It's 250 coaches this year. Next year, that number is going to be reduced by two. Uh, Actually, only by one uh, in a net total. But uh, Frostburg State is moving to NCAA Division II next year, although that is not something that's final. Uh, That's something that Frostburg State has announced that it wants to do, and it's kind of taken a shortcut to try to do it. So we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, Thomas Moore, after saying, uh, we're going to the NIA, NAIA. No, we're not really going to the NAIA yet. No, they actually are going to the NAIA, so they will be out of Division Three as well come 2019. Uh, Keystone College adds football in 2019, so we'll be at 249 next year. But uh, that's uh, a couple of the, the biggest pieces of news of the last month or so, Keith. Obviously, we kind of knew Thomas Moore was headed down this road. First of all, they had been uh, granted uh, admission into an NAIA conference, so I don't know why that... Uh, this was such a uh, a big surprise that this actually happened. The final announcement by Thomas Moore uh, last week in the final week of July uh, Frostburg state move into division two is something that, uh, you know, had been talked about a little bit for a while. If we assume that Frostburg state actually leaves, then that makes things interesting for the NJAC, but it's like overall reactions first, Keith, I'm sorry.
0: Um, I think, One, I guess, is by necessity, or maybe both are necessity, but regionally speaking, uh, both the moves kind of make sense. Frostburg has has bounced around since the ACFC dissolved, and they've they've been uh, Empire 8, they've been NJAC, and so really that's a lot of travel for them. Frostburg is in western Maryland, kind of the opposite side of the state, from Baltimore and close to West Virginia, which means they're actually probably going to be Closer to some of their new opponents than they are a lot of their their past opponents. At least, certainly the Empire Eight and some of the the uh, North Jersey and Jack schools. Jack so I guess that kind of makes sense. It's kind of a shame though that Frostburg has gotten uh, dragged back and forth and and hopped from conference to conference. And now that they're finally good again, they're leaving because we sort of uh, enjoyed getting to know Delane Fitzgerald and, and some of the, the players uh, who've been good over the past couple years. Thomas Moore, I think, uh, tried to make things work for as long as they could with the pack, but Kentucky is is actually a pretty big NAIA state, and even though they're basically, Thomas Moore is basically on the, on the Ohio border uh, in Kentucky, and, uh, that could be a, a decent fit for them too. But another— Playoff quality um, football team. So for football, you know, you lose what's now two pretty good schools, and uh, that's a little bit of a shame. But uh, but as you say, Pat, you know, there's another one coming down the road. There are brand new schools uh, opening up or restarting football all the time. So uh, so we're our numbers hovering pretty close at pretty close to 250 from year to year.
1: We also put out a preseason top 25 poll since you and I last talked, Keith. Uh, Mount Union number one. Okay, that's probably the least surprising thing. Um, as As you look through, Ricky, what was the most surprising result in the preseason poll for you?
0: Well, I just had some teams that I um, didn't rank very highly. I'm I'm pretty strong on uh, returning starters. I think that's a known thing that I've said several times on the podcast. So I'm looking for teams that have lots of starters back overall, and then if they uh, or teams that have very few. You know, Delaware Valley, probably the most prominent example, five back on offense, two on defense. And, uh, so where I had Delaware Valley probably was much lower than, uh, than where they ended up in the preseason, but that was also the, you know, at set or maybe not much lower. I think what's the best way to phrase that Delaware Valley 17th and where they finished last season, if we were just regurgitating last season, I think, um, fans would expect them to be, top eight, top 10, somewhere around there. Right. They're 17th for us, and, and you know, a lot of it was because returning starters. I thought, though, we we gave a little bit of um, the same – we didn't give the same – I don't know if you don't – punishment not the right word. You know, We didn't ding Wartburg quite as much, but that's another school that doesn't have a lot of starters, back four on each side of the ball. They came in at 13. And on the the flip side uh, – I also thought Harden-Simmons – uh, at ten, Harden Simmons basically, you know, you have to remember that they get pushed out of the playoffs early uh, because of the matchups they they receive, and so
1: yeah. So have- I was talking with uh, a a coach over the course of the past few weeks. Go figure. Um, we were talking about uh, Harden Simmons specifically. Uh, that you know, that's in a position where, especially last year, where they played a, a non-division three school as their sole non-conference game. Uh, and then they lost to Mary Harden-Baylor, and then they lost to Linfield. It's like, we don't really, you never really know how good that Harden-Simmons team actually was. And then so this year, when you're basing your preseason projections off of what they did or what you think they did last year, plus what they have returning, even then it's still really difficult to know, uh, you know exactly what Harden-Simmons accomplished last year and how that helps them, and how that helps you rank them for 2018.
0: It's true. The, you know, one thing I, I sort of leaned into is that they have uh, eight starters back on um, on offense, and, and that includes a quarterback. And for a lot of the schools that, that had quarterbacks back, whether it was top 10 type schools or schools that I was um, looking for you know, down around 22, 23, 24, the schools that, that had a lot of starters plus their quarterback, uh, Baldwin-Wallace, nine and a quarterback, Huntington uh, had eight and no quarterback. So when I was trying to figure out who was sticking at 25 in my preseason. Um, and, and, you know, Baldwin, Wallace, Alfred, and, and Huntingdon were three of the schools uh, in the mix there. That was one way I sorted it out. RPI is another one, eight starters back and a quarterback back. That's that's a, um, a generally a, a sort of determinant for me. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I think we all have our own biases in terms of how to deal with schools like Harden-Simmons, St. John's, Linfield. So that Linfield's a great example, actually, Um, a lot of starters back on one side of the ball, not too many on the other side. So, you know, does that, they, they were fifth in the preseason poll, but, you know, you could, you could justify putting maybe Brockport or North Central or or Hardin simmons or St. John, somebody like that ahead of them based on what they have coming back. So I think for, for what each voter is trying to do is, is obviously take what they know about these programs already, and then mix that with what should be coming back and, and how that affects their vote.
1: Just know off the top, this is clearly going to be a fairly long podcast. I'm not going to be able to keep it to 75. I might be able to keep it to 75 minutes, but definitely not to 60, even though we only have two coaches who we're talking to. Uh, We are also going to be releasing the preseason D3Football.com All-America team. That is going to come after this podcast is dropped, so you're going to have to look for that on the website. Uh, You should see that. On Monday afternoon, if I'm committing to it here in the audio, that means I actually have to get it out and on the site on Monday afternoon. Uh, We continue to have coaching changes even this deep in the offseason. Keith, uh, Concordia Chicago, uh, now coached by Mike Jussick after uh, Randy Aury left uh, with just a month to go before camp. Defiance finally hired a coach. Uh, Clayton Kendrick-Holmes, who is the head coach at SUNY Maritime uh, has announced his resignation on social media. The school hasn't even announced it officially yet, and hasn't announced uh, a replacement or who's going to be there when camp opens in two weeks. This is—it seems like that's a a lot more movement this year, maybe than usual this late in the season.
0: The tough thing, really, is to have that late movement, and and certainly uh, there are situations where it's um, not anticipated, and you have to scramble. You know, Wesley is one that comes to mind when you're hiring that late. But if you if it if it can at all be avoided, you know, you want to make those moves back in December, sometime in the in the late winter, early spring, so the the coach can you know not just put in the spring ball, you know, schemes and whatnot, but to just get the get the feet wet, be around campus, um, do all the glad handing and getting to know people, get all that out of the way, so that when you're In camp, you're just focused on camp. And I think anyone that's hiring at this point is scrambling. And so it's going to be tough for all three uh, of those schools that you mentioned, Pat.
1: For Defiance, the person who they're hiring is uh, Manny Matsakis. Uh, He's a guy who was uh, the offensive coordinator at Widener over the course of the past three seasons. Uh, Previously worked in the CFL. And At Texas Tech, uh, that's a, an instance where you're bringing in somebody from the outside to take over at the that la- at that late date at that last minute. Uh, Concordia Chicago promoted from within. We have no idea what SUNY Maritime is going to do literally at this point, and I suspect we still won't by the time this podcast drops, which should be less than forty-eight hours after you and I are doing this recording, Keith. It's just uh, those are the ones that are that are really. Uh, that really make things different and strange. Not only do you not have, as you already talked about, uh, the opportunity to do your stuff in spring ball, you don't get to recruit anybody. Um, you uh, you may well be spending the entire season with your family back in another part of the uh, a part of the country, uh, and you have to learn nine new, ten new opponents at the drop of a hat, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a, a crazy situation. I couldn't imagine myself in.
0: It is, but I guess one thing it does speak to in the cases where, for example, with, with Clayton Kendrick Holmes, who'd been at SUNY Maritime for a while, whatever happens this season sort of speaks to how well the program was built because if the coach gets to whatever level um, he wants to get to, then he has – the program can sort of operate – I don't want to say independent of the coach because it certainly matters who's coaching, but it's bigger than one person. And so we'll see, especially if you're coming in – At a late date and taking over, you know, you you get um, you get what was left before you in a a lot of ways. And sometimes uh, the program's on solid footing and sometimes it isn't.
1: On this podcast, we'll have uh, interviews with Joe Austin. He's the head coach at Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. They're in the ASC, along with uh, teams that we've already talked about here in the course of the first 15 minutes or so. uh, Mary Harden Baylor, Harden Simmons. Uh, schools like Texas Lutheran, et cetera. And then we'll chat with Matt Walker, the head coach at UW River Falls, uh, about you know all sorts of things there. We kind of thought that that was a program that would uh, kind of rebuild and revive itself pretty quickly under him. In fact, uh, that has not been the case. We'll talk to him a little bit more about that when we come back. But uh, also, you know, we talked on a previous podcast about w- uh, some possibilities for where I might go in the opening weeks, And I've mentioned that I like to take my big road trips early in the season, partly because there's those uh, Thursday and Friday night games in the first couple weeks that makes a road trip really fun. I can see multiple games, uh, but also because I haven't burned my brain out yet. Uh, I like to see games early in the season while I still can. I'll talk a little bit later about what I am planning for my first weekend of the season. But I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf. That still happens. That happens all the time. Uh, you can uh, reach those people by sponsoring this podcast. Keith and I will be talking uh, about your product here, Waxing Poetic, before we went to break, so think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Yeah, we did all of these off-season podcasts, which reach coaches especially Uh, a very high percentage of this uh, offseason podcast uh, is really in the ears and in the uh, phones of coaches so you would have the opportunity to hear uh, have all those people hear your message you're missing out Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. We're joined by Joe Austin, the head coach at Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Uh, Coach, thanks for taking the time and thanks for joining us.
2: Uh, Very happy to do it. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: You bet. Before we get into talking about Southwestern, I have a question that I really want to ask a football coach this time of year. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, doing 29 coach interviews for kickoff. I've talked to about 24 coaches or so. I'm really feeling like I'm hitting those mid camp doldrums, and I just want to go out and hit somebody else. What do you? What advice do you have for me? What can I do right now?
2: <laughs> you you got to push through it. It's the same thing you tell the players: is mid camp doldrums hit everybody, and you know, I guess my best coaching advice, the same I give the players, is you got to push through it, Patrick. You just got to. Bear down and, and keep going. The one thing you can do is maybe try to change your routine. You know, switch up how you do practices or switch up how you do the interviews. Yeah. Try to keep it a little bit fresh. But there's not a whole lot you can do.
1: Yeah, I'm not someone who's going to go out and lift, but I'm pretty sure that uh, we've got good weather for this right now. After uh, we get off of this uh, interview, I am going to go out and like either run or go spend an hour on the bike or something like that, just to get away from the, get away from the computer, get away from my notes. I, I love talking to coaches. I love having the conversations. I don't even mind taking notes. It's then when I have to go back and then compile it all into writing, and I feel like I've written the same thing 25 times because everybody has a question mark at third wide receiver or you know the, the backup uh, inside linebacker, et
2: cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I totally get that. You just got to do do that little bit of a routine change and keep your mind fresh, and you'll get through it
1: you guys are at this phase in the building process of this program where you're kind of, you know, you're through those initial four years, your initial class has come and gone and been gone for a couple of years. How do you then kind of work through this second phase of building the program where you've got now these subsequent classes that you have to build up on it and the initial excitement has maybe faded off a bit?
2: Internally, we're just still focused on constant improvement. That's been kind of our, our rallying cry and and what we've been trying to do since day one. And and luckily that's continued to work. Back in our SCAC days, that first recruiting class did end up being uh, champions. And then we moved to the American Southwest, which I, I know we're going to talk about. And that's just afforded us so many great building opportunities. So I think for us, the conference change came at a great time uh, because it gave us more things to climb for and shoot for. Uh, and so we can, you know, if you get to the top of one hill, you need to find a bigger hill. And I think that's just what we did
1: even if you don't uh, try to think about where the ASC and the SCAC kind of stand or the, the former SCAC stand in the uh, pecking order or the echelon of Division Three conferences, the fact remains that the ASC is, if nothing else, a bigger hill, right? It's a larger conference. You had a, basically a full slate of games and just one non-conference game to schedule and all that. But it really seemed like, other than the fact that you had you know three really tough games on your schedule, it didn't seem like you guys necessarily yeah. missed a beat.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you saying that because we didn't feel like we missed a beat too much. Uh, you're right that the ASC uh, is way better than the SCAC just in terms of depth and, and obviously the size of the, the conference overall. Uh, but we had been playing a lot of the ASC teams already. We had played McMurray. We had played uh, ETBU, We had been playing Harden-Simmons. We had done preseason stuff with Howard Payne. Uh, Texas Lutheran came with us, so we knew them really well. Yeah. So we felt like we could slide in, uh, and we felt like we we're getting to a point where we were going to be competitive. You know, we were picked sixth, I think, uh, by our conference last season. Ended up finishing third, so we maybe snuck up on some people a little bit that weren't really sure what the SCAC champ would do in that league. And I don't, I didn't take that as a knock. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to go to the ASC is we want to be in uh, one of the best, if not the best, conference in the country. So leaving the SCAC was okay. It was nice we won it before we left. It was a good stepping stone. But I think you know th- this hill analogy we're, we're working on. I think is a good one. Uh, we climbed that SCAC hill, and then we wanted to move to a bigger hill, and that's where we are.
1: You're in a conference now, of course, where you're competing almost exclusively with teams in Texas, uh, and of course, teams in the American Southwest. What's it like, you know, having so many of those conference rivals now? if not necessarily close by, because some of them are, you know, eight to 10 hours in either direction, I suppose, uh, having everybody right there in a, a somewhat more contiguous space. It
2: would make scheduling a lot easier. Um, scheduling is such a, a difficult thing. You have to do it so many years in advance to find people that have openings. you got to balance your home in a way. So to only have to do that once a year is really a, is really a nice thing. To have nine games locked in is is a big benefit, uh, and the proximity you know saves a little bit on cost. I know all schools are thinking about that, no matter what their budget situations are. So we, we've got a few more day trips. When we go to uh, Seguin to Texas Lutheran, it's a day trip. When we go uh, to Mary Hart and Baylor, it's it's really twenty miles away. So uh, we've got a few more day trips. We're not as condensed as maybe some of the. Ah, uh, the East Coast conferences or a lot of the MIAC schools are that close. Uh, but the the proximity has been has been a good thing, I think uh, overall. I and mean, we, we don't miss a lot of class, and I, I know in Division three, everyone's thinking a little bit about that, at least I hope they are. And our guys don't miss a lot of class because you don't have to leave early on Fridays. You don't have to leave on Thursday nights. So it's been good.
1: Was your fan base happy with the transition?
2: Well, yeah, it, well, in Texas, it was good to get in with uh, some of these schools that that have a lot of recognition. Uh, for football. So our fan base really loved the transition. Uh, and they love the variety of it. They you know they get to see so many different teams now. Um, and it, you know people around here know uh, you know they know Mary Harden Baylor and they know Harden Simmons and they know East Texas Baptist because they've they've all been ranked for a lot of years. Uh, so our fans really like uh, like the conference and and like the schedule and like the competitive excuse me, the competitiveness of it.
1: What's it like recruiting? to Division three, a Division three school in the shadow of someone like Mary Harden Baylor, who's, you know, been to the Stag Bowl multiple times and has won a national championship?
2: Well, to be honest, with that school in particular, we don't cross paths a lot. Um, you know, we're kind of looking for a little bit different things from an academic perspective. Uh, so, we, we, you know, we, we don't really directly recruit with that school a bunch. In fact, we don't always dire- directly recruit with uh, too many schools in our conference. So we're recruiting with, uh, you know, Davidson and other schools, that, you know, academic schools that come in uh, to Texas. We're recruiting with, against Ivy Leagues and, uh, you know, California schools that are high academic schools. That's really more who you know, we're trying to, to, to you know, work with our kids against. Uh, but from a competitive standpoint, it's, it's, it's been fun to recruit against them. I feel like we have a little bit of a niche in that we're the best academic school and and one of the best football conferences in the country. Uh, And that's kind of our calling card and and how we can market ourselves. And we have plenty that we can sell. We sell our outcomes. We sell our facilities. We sell the fact that we're the oldest school in Texas. Uh, So we've got plenty of things to talk about with us specifically without having to worry too much about, you know, who else is out there and who they're getting.
1: I know when you have a, a, a when you have a significant change in your schedule and your conference schedule, sometimes it takes a little while for you to have kind of control over the rest of it and kind of fix the the lag in your non-conference schedule. But uh, do you guys have any thoughts about then returning to returning play to Trinity or maybe Austin college, the other two Texas teams from the SCAC that uh, you guys don't have room, you don't have room for both of them, obviously, but uh, is there any thought of bringing one of them back?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, we've, we've got game contracts for the next five years. We we're finishing our home-and-home home with Denison uh, this year, and then we're going to play Swanee the next two years. And then the two years after that, we're going to play uh, Austin College for our non-conference game. So to keep those SCAC ties is, is something that we'd like to do. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll be Trinity after that. Maybe we'll k- stick with Austin or do something different. But we do have Austin College coming up on the schedule.
1: We've talked to coaches in the past, uh, over the past year or so, about the changes in preseason and uh, the preseason practice schedule and the amount of preparation and that sort of thing. What's your take on it? What do you think about, uh, you know, how things have changed? And do you feel like you have the ability to really kind of get your team prepared in what's left of preseason practice?
2: Well, it's really tight. And I'm sure that's what most coaches say. Uh, depending on when you when you start school, you can lose a lot of practices. We start school fairly early. Uh, so I think we had 18 or 19 practice opportunities. That doesn't mean you use them all because you've got to give your kids day off, mm-hmm. uh, days off in there. So it, it is com- compact. Uh, but you know that going in. you just have to plan your training accordingly. You've got to do you know as much as you can in your spring drills to to supplement that uh, from a teaching standpoint. What I do like and what I do think is very positive is the 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 preseason guidelines set out by the NCAA, uh, make a lot of sense, and they're really good for player safety. Uh, the number of times that you know you're not in in full pads, I think, is smart. Uh, that you have to be, uh, you know, give them time after scrimmages. I, I think all the the nuances in there, I think, are really well thought out. I think our players are healthier, uh, and I'm not talking about a head injury standpoint. Just overall, I think they're healthier coming through camp. I think they're more uh, refreshed. They're ready for the first game, so the pacing of it's really good. I just wish they would, you know, give us a few more total days to do a little bit more teaching.
1: Are, are you also someone who uh, has considered, or maybe implements, or would consider uh, limiting contact days during the regular season practice schedule as well?
2: We, yeah, we, we do that. We follow the, the NCAA guidelines as far as uh, you know, what they what they say that the best standards are and best practices are. We we follow that so. You know, we're out two days a week and, and basically no equipment, uh, not even helmets. Uh, then we'll do a helmet day. We'll do one shoulder pad day, and we'll do one pad day, and, uh, you know, that's your week, and, and we've adapted to that. Again, I think there's there's benefits of, of players' uh, health. That's, you know, some player safety, I'm sure, overall, if you added up injuries to not tackling and hitting so much. But we really don't tackle a ton in practice anyway. Uh, so we're happy to do that because I think it helps our players – Overall, be be healthier and, and more happy.
1: Tell us a little bit about uh, what the program looks like for 2018. Who are the uh, returning guys and the positions and stuff that you're excited about?
2: Well, we're excited about our offense. We finished, I think, sixth in rushing last year and eighth in total offense. And we have 11 starters back now. Now I, I feel like we have you know, 14 starters in our whole package because we can be multiple personnel. So you don't have we don't have every man back. We've got we've got a ton of guys, and it really starts with Fred Hoover. He was first team uh, All Conference America Southwest quarterback. He led the NCAA in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. Uh, he's not one dimensional. He threw for 1,900 yards and 16 touchdowns, also. So he he's kind of our our centerpiece. He's got to be a nightmare to prepare for uh, with the things that he can do. And we have a really unique offensive system. Uh, the easiest way to describe it is, is as a call it a spread option, but it's not your typical zone read. Type of spread option. We use a lot of wings. Uh, we'll have a lot of formations that look like Army, Navy, Air Force, New Mexico, uh, but they're all shotgun based. So it's, it's fairly unique uh, in how we do things. We're not necessarily a VIR team, we run a lot of power. But we're looking forward to what our offense can do. Uh, TJ Vela is our right tackle. He was second team all conference last year as a sophomore. Uh, we think he's going to be very good. James Matt is a senior uh, guard who was second team all conference last year. And then our tight end, A.J. Daniels, was also second team all-conference. So those are kind of the pieces that uh, we'll really build around.
1: Does it mean anything uh, special for you guys having the Stag Bowl come to uh, Shenandoah just 175 miles away? Or does the fact that it's more, I guess, tightly aligned with Mary Harden Baylor and they're the ones that have been to the Stag Bowl multiple times, does that mean that it doesn't have as much meaning for you guys?
2: Well, Texans are very proud about their football, so we're happy to have it in the state, number one. I think all Texas kids are excited they don't have to go play a cold game <laughs> if they make it that far. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's some reasons it's important. But in our conference, you know, if, if you win our conference, you're a contender to go that deep in the playoffs. So we haven't been there ourselves yet. We're still building. Obviously, we've got a lot of uh, of, of, of climbing to do up that ladder. But you can start your season every year, every team in our league, knowing if you can – if you can be the best team in this conference, then you are probably going to be good enough to go deep in the playoffs and have a chance to, to stay in your home state. And how great would it be for a team from our conference to have all their family and friends and parents and folks in their campus uh, at that game. So uh, whenever the, when the playoffs start, whether it's us or somebody else, I'm certainly rooting for the ASC to be in that in that championship game.
1: Keith, to backtrack all the way to the beginning of this conversation, I really am some in this mid Camp Doldrums on kickoff. I am so ready to move on to something else. Instead of going through this list of uh 29 coaches and kind of badgering the last six to even uh, set up an interview time with me, I am ready to move on.
0: I'm like in the opposite spot. I'm like, bring on the copy. Like we need more of it in. I always get to this place with it where I feel like, uh, did we bit off more than we can chew? Or why do we even do this? You know, so people People are giving us a hard time, and then so at some point along the way, enough of the stuff comes in and it reads really well, and it all comes together at the end. I'm I'm at that place where I'm like, is this even all going to come together, to, you know, ever at this point?
1: See, I'm not in a much different place than you are. For me, it's like you want the copy; I want to be able to provide the copy so that I can move on to the rest of the things that have to get done on kickoff. Be done with it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We often talk, of course, about teams in year four and year five, and I really thought it was interesting to talk to a coach and to a program who is now kind of working through that second four years, the second phase of the building project.
0: Yeah, and, and that second phase, of course, ramped up when they went from, as the SCAC dissolved and they went into the ASC, You know, the, the level of competition, as he talked about, uh, Coach Austin, which, by the way, I found that unique not really ironic, but that Austin is the coach of Southwestern. No, nope. yeah. maybe I'm the only person who finds that funny. Um, you know, the, that they moved into this, this other level now where you, you have to play Mary Harden Baylor and, and, and Harden Simmons. And those are the teams you have to beat if you want to get to the top of your conference. And likewise, you know, if you do beat those teams, you, you may end up in the playoffs, probably playing each other right away, but that's another story for another podcast.
1: I visited Southwestern in probably, I would guess, the third year or so of the uh, program. Uh, one of those trips where I was going down to Mary Harden Baylor uh, for a night game and had an opportunity to uh, chat with him in the uh, morning or in the afternoon or maybe even on Friday. I don't remember. But uh, you know, just kind of watching how that uh, program has revived itself, rebuilt itself. They were uh, a prominent football program uh, in some sense in the 1920s, 1930s, and then kind of completely restarting. There are not a, a lot of programs like that. We, we tend to have a lot of programs in D3 that are starting completely from scratch or that have been off the table you know, since maybe the 60s or 70s like that. This is a, a, a school at which football had been non-existent for quite a long time.
0: Well, I found uh, the most interesting thing, too, about that is that it, uh, I didn't realize it was such a high... High academic school and that they're they're competing with Ivy League schools and, and schools from California as coach Austin was saying during the interview you know I, I didn't I just thought it was kind of another school in Texas to be quite honest with you I, I didn't realize it was on that level so you know to learn I mean part of what we do with this podcast and having some time in the offseason to uh, to really talk in depth with coaches you know you learn about the history of the of the schools and their football programs and uh, for most of us who are sort of regionally based, you know, if you're a fan of the Empire Eight, all your knowledge is about New York. You have no idea what's what's going on uh, in Texas or if you're from Minnesota in Wisconsin, as we'll, we'll talk in a little bit with, uh, with with Matt Walker. You know, a lot of what you know is from the, the upper Midwest. And, and so all this stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't realize any of that, that Southwestern had had all that history. You know, I knew that they brought football back, but I didn't realize where they brought it back from.
1: Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Matt Walker, the head football coach at UW-River Falls, coach who uh, played at DePauw, coached football and baseball at DePauw, and uh, is now here uh, in the midst of a seemingly a little bit longer rebuilding project for UW-River Falls. But uh, without more introduction, I should just let you say hello.
3: Thanks. I appreciate being on the show.
1: You have been in this project as I was about to allude to. Now this is your eighth season as the head coach. I think that I and I'm I'm speaking for Keith, maybe uh, incorrectly, but I think that we both had maybe unreasonable expectations for how quickly you might be able to do something with this program. You know, UW-River Falls was great in the 80s and uh, in the early 90s and then fell off a little bit. We felt that having an established D3 coach come in would just kind of magically make everything better, and it turns out that 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 magic doesn't actually exist.
3: No, you know, I I think it's been slow for me too. I I mean, I'd be the first one to tell you it's been frustrating. I think that um, it's a lesson that it's a lot more about – it's exponential compared to other sports trying to turn something around. Um, I joke all the time, my – uh, 12-year-old daughter when she was a little kid in Indiana and games would be over, you know, we'd win almost all the time. And, and after games now, uh, a funny moment where he said, Dad, how come you never win anymore? And, and I said, boy, if I knew the answer, we would. But no, but but at the same time, I'm super proud of what we've done. I really wanted this job. I love the place. I knew we had some work to do. Um, Admittedly, maybe got uh, a little bit more of a project than I uh, had had anticipated. I I knew, like I said, there were challenges, but uh, we really – I don't even think it was a rebuild. We've called it a restart. And like you said, I talk a lot about our history, a lot about our tradition. It is a great one. I love that part of this program. I like to talk to our alums about it. I want our current guys to understand it and know that it's been done here before and we're going to do it again. But um, we just had so much work to do. And then you throw on all these reasons that make football programs hard to turn around for. I mean, it's just, again, it's exponential compared to any other sport. But then you throw on the fact that we also play in what I think is the best, you know, league in the country. And and uh, you know, like like we were talking before the the thing here, you can't get out of a season without playing three top ten or top twenty five teams every year. And so, um, just an incredible challenge. And also, what makes the league great. I mean, I, I wanted this challenge. As you mentioned, DePaul, I was lucky to take over a good football and kind of keep rolling with it. A good baseball and take it to another level. And here, I was excited for a new challenge, something different. Um, there's been times where we've been like pounding our head against the wall, but uh, the future's bright. It's the most exciting time I think we've ever had since I've been here. This is the best team on paper we've ever had coming back. And I'll admit that last year – we screwed it up. I I take full blame. It was all aligned for last year to be the year. Best team we'd had, um, two senior quarterbacks, depth up front, best defense I've had, um, some success coming off a a fourth place finish the year before and kind of separating that next tier of the league. And and everything was aligned to have the year. And um, nobody wants your excuses of why, but it just didn't happen. And and I'll take full blame. So, uh, But again, we we return what we think is a better team on paper now. And um recruiting is as good as it's ever been. So there's so much excitement right now around the program.
1: Keith and I are definitely on the record over the course of the last couple of years as uh, ranking the WIAC as the number one conference. So no argument from us. I think we've also felt that, you know, basically everybody in the conference belongs in the top 100 in Division three, which puts some, everybody comfortably in the top half. Is there when when you guys were in the beginning of that rebuilding mode, is there any pride or anything that you can take from being, hey, you know, we're you know, we're at the bottom of this conference, but we would beat almost anybody in conference X and probably be, you know, middle of the pack or contenders in most conferences? I
3: think so. I mean, I think uh, this is half joking, half serious when you're not in this league. And I can speak from experience you really don't like the league, you know, you, you, you kind of stick your nose up at it and, and don't quite understand it. And you think they have all this great. Now, you, when you're in the league, you fully understand uh, that there are challenges, just like there are other places. Every place has their challenges. Um, but there are there is some pride there. I think that you know, I'm not afraid to talk about the landscape of our league. I mean, I think that what Oshkosh and Whitewater and Platteville have done at the top of the league has been amazing, and and really since I've been here, those three have been perennial top twenty-five, top ten, even teams. The rest of us, since I've been here, have been trying to figure life out and see who who's gonna who's gonna challenge those guys. We clearly started at the bottom of it. So again, a year ago to kind of become the next one to come chase these guys down, that was a big deal for us. And even though the record's not sexy, and like you said, the the turnaround on paper with the, the, the measurable things people look at hasn't been great. There's been some big strides. You know, we were talking earlier, you know, we're for three and a half quarters we lead against Oshkosh last year, who I think is the most talented team in the nation last year. A year ago, Whitewater's ranked number two. We take them to overtime, really led the whole game. So, um, but – Nobody wants to, that's loser talk. Nobody wants to hear those things. But no, there is pride in, in and I tell our recruits, I tell our kids, I tell everybody on the outside, if you're climbing your way up the ladder
1: of our league, you're climbing your way up to being a national contender for the title. So yeah, a lot of pride in the league. Measuring yourself against the contenders in the league, which obviously you get to see every year and multiple times on film, and having been in a couple of those games, like you mentioned, where you're very close down to the wire with them, what separates you guys from being able to be at that uh, upper echelon?
3: Oh, I think that our margin of error isn't isn't what it might be for the top teams. I think that's what you've seen with the separation of the top of the league from the rest of us, is, is that... Um, everybody's 22 guys are really good and, and could, you know, again, I, I cautiously say it, but compete with anybody in the country, I think, and on any given day, but, um, you know, you start to get guys 23 through a hundred, you know, is the depth with big guys as good? Do we have another star quarterback? Do you, do you have that depth that maybe some of the top teams have, um, you know, maybe not at that point. I think we do now. I think that's why I feel as good as we have about our, our incoming season, um, I also think that it's that, that kind of un um, tangible, unspeakable thing that no one can figure out that that it factor of taking the next step. You know, that everyone likes to talk about, and every coach has no answer for. But you just we haven't taken that step. We we haven't learned. You know that that learn how to win thing. It just some of the and again, I it's really on me, and, and I'll take full blame for it. I just we haven't had that. Um, that about us, we found ways to lose those games instead of win them, and, and uh, at the same time, we've won some big games, and uh, I know we're talented enough, I know we have great leadership, I know our, our kids have been so, com- I mean, I, I'd say all the time, from coaching assistant coaches, to players, to alumni, to friends of the program, the amount of commitment and dedication from everybody has been incredible. The We've been through dark times, I mean, an 0-10 year, my second season, um, you know, just the the football hell I call it at times, and times where I've even questioned myself on, you know, is this right? And and every day though, reassured that this is where I'm supposed to be. This is supposed to happen, and all this commitment, and dedication from all these people that are still on board, that are fully committed. Um, these guys work so hard for us. Assistant coaches that have left for better situations and come back because they, they believe in what we're doing here. Um, there's a powerful thing going on here that I really hard to put into words and hard to see, but there, there is something going on here right now.
1: I've been in all of the gyms. I've been in all of the football stadiums in the Wyack and for a long time, You guys were basically at the bottom of the rung in both categories. Now that's something that's changed. Obviously, brand new, uh, sparkling new arena with great athletic facilities wrapped all around it. Uh, The stadium has undergone some renovation. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, what that does and what kind of excitement it brings.
3: Well, it's clearly uh, changed our lives, I say. The whole athletic department, football, uh, obviously as well. And I I think that I like to tell people the facility things become too important, but it is what it is. It's an arms race. And and so um, I've told everybody I think we've had a great story to tell even before the facility was done. It's a great school and great people and this great tradition and this great league and all these great kids and coaches. What I tell people is it, it's given us a chance to tell that story to more people. It's just attracted more people to come. I think the other thing that's obvious in our little world up here is we fight the Division II League, the Northern Sun League, for so many of the top players. And and I recruit as much against Division II schools as I do other Division III schools. And so this this fight is not only with Division III, but I, I've needed to – this now puts me in the fight with the Division II guys, and, and, and it's really helped us in
1: recruiting. People from the outside look at Wisconsin and say UW-Madison, and then nobody in between them and the Division III schools. Um, but what you're saying is I think what we've been telling people all along is that the D2 schools, which are primarily over the border in Minnesota and then further west, are really taking a lot of kids out of this area.
3: I think that that what you're going to find is we're having to work as hard as we've ever worked to continue to be the best league in the country. I, I tell people we were the first ones affected. The Northern sun started creeping over into western Wisconsin, and we started battling them. Even before I got here, it was happening a little bit. And then Stout and Eau Claire had to fight them. And now, with the way recruiting's changed and the technology and really everybody's a, a click away, and it's, it's shrunk the, the country here, um, if, if a kid's in the corner of Milwaukee or he's right across the water from Minnesota, if he's a Division II caliber kid, they're going to fight him just like we are. Everybody um, is, is now in our league is fighting this. It's really helped us the fact that the Division II league is now spread all across the state of Wisconsin, not just in our area. It's helped us because the league now is fighting the same fights that we've been fighting for a longer time
1: before Whitewater became the the national power that it has been. Uh, UW lacrosse had its run, um, but it seemed that maybe there was a little bit more balance at the top and a lot of the schools beat up on each other. And then maybe that led to them not performing so well in the playoffs over the course of the late nineties and early part of this century. You know, lately, of course, it seems like a lot of the talent then focused on Whitewater. is that something that you notice too? Is it Did it seem like maybe kids who in this area might have stayed at River Falls or maybe gone down to La Crosse or Platteville, now all of a sudden everybody wants to go to the place that's winning? Oh,
3: I don't know for sure. Um, I think that uh, it's still a little bit regional with our league. I think that uh, you have to win your backyard. you got to win the 30-mile or 60-mile radius of your backyard. I think that uh, I think that, that with our location, I probably don't come up against Whitewater and Oshkosh in recruiting as much as maybe Platteville and some of the others in the Central League. Again, I, I probably face the, the St. Saint Thomas, St. Saint John's, and Division Two world more than
1: I do uh, the eastern side of our league. No, I was going to say your sixty mile radius definitely includes St. Thomas, and includes a couple of other Wyac schools as well.
3: Yeah, no, it does, and and, and obviously the Wyac is, is a great league, and the top of that league is special, and I have a lot of respect for it, and um, it, it the football up here, and again, I I loved my guys at DePaul, and still do, and 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 my guys at Butler, and, and all of the, those kids, and we had great teams, and I'm not uh, comparing too much, but. I, I would tell you that that uh, there's some different football up here, and what I thought Division Three football was, and um, this is incredible football. And I think the whole country's gotten better, um, but but especially up here. I, I can remember one of the years as an assistant at DePaul, we went eight and two, I think, when Bill Lynch was the coach, and Stout came to our place and beat us up pretty good. And and I thought we were really good then. And that was my first peak at. What the hell is this Wisconsin League and and, and ten years later um, it's still kind of the same thing it's just
1: incredible football and, and, and uh, Minnesota as well now let's talk about Depaw for a second you know you came up there obviously as a player uh, you were the head coach uh, the baseball head coach then you became the the football head coach which is something that's really unusual in 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 division three and anywhere I would think in college athletics, someone who's the head football coach, also coaching as the head coach of another sport.
3: It was unique. Um, you know, those were, those were some wild years there. Um, but, but fun, you know, and really, um, I I was in football as an assistant while I was head baseball the whole time. So I was always doing both sports and so and some people think, you know, oh my god, this is crazy. But I was always involved in both and anybody that's been around our game knows that the time commitment, whether you're the head coach or an assistant, it's incredible. It's different than any other job I can ever explain to people. Um but, you know, it was one of those deals where everything kinda happened fast the first time where, you know, I took over this head baseball job one year out of school uh, just a unique situation where I would stayed on as the assistant coach and the head coach at the time, uh, Ed Meyer, uh, who just passed away last year, an unbelievable guy, uh, was head baseball, assistant football for 37 years there. He got health problems right after I took the job as an assistant, uh, just quickly fell into an interim role there. And in his assistant football, head baseball role, they lift the interim title. He retires the next year. Um, and so that happened fast. Then the football thing all happened fast. And, um, you know, I'm 28 at the time. Uh, um, I, you know, people say, how are you ready? I don't think you're ever ready for a job like this. You know, you just kind of figure it out. I did, you know, I was a 22 year old head baseball coach who'd never coached a game in my life. And so you just figure it out. And and so I figured it out. Um, but it happened fast. We kind of made the decision as a school said, hey, um, do you want to do this? You want to try this? You got to I got full time guys in both sports to help me. And um, we just made it work. It was a great run. And and um it, you know, then, you know, situation came up where for personal reasons, I, I uh, my wife and I had conversations and, and, and some some things happened where uh, I just felt it was a time to step away from DePaul and, and uh, things were great with them. I know that my silence on the issues maybe made it even worse and then, you know, letting people wonder, but it's just something I, I decided along with DePaul that we would both keep, uh, you know, under wraps and it was a personal thing with, with me and my family. And so it stayed that way. I haven't talked about it for probably 10 years with anybody and um, something that that just happened and and left on great terms. And I go back there all the time and uh, went right to, uh, figured out my situation and and took care of some things with my family that we needed to and immediately go on to Butler University and then had an assistant job there. Jeff Boris, who was the head football coach, who's still there at Butler, was an assistant at DePaul. He was my quarterback coach when I played, was lucky enough to, to get an opportunity with him and And I was kind of at a crossroads in my life after the year at Butler. It had opened up some more uh, avenues for me. I I had football people talking to me. I still had baseball people talking to me. And my wife and I were like, man, we're still barely 30. We have one kid who's not even in school yet. What the, what the hell we want to do here? And, and uh, I said, I could go try to be Nick Saban and be the best coach in the world and, and, and do the Division One assistant circuit or go try to be uh, Joe Torrey and the best baseball coach the world's ever seen or – and I said, boy, I'd really like to go back to Division Three and, and become a head football coach again. And was ready, like I mentioned before earlier briefly, that I was ready for a new challenge. I wanted to turn around. I wanted a, a, something to build of my own. And, and um, again, I know everybody, including myself, it's taken longer than any of us have wanted. but. I, Every day it's confirmed more and more, this is what I was supposed to do. This all happened for the right reason. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get too crazy faithful here on you, but I, I just believe things happen for a reason, and, and I'm supposed to be here. My family, we absolutely love it. My oldest daughter's playing hockey. I didn't even know what the hell hockey was before I got here. I'm, I'm one of the weird hockey dads up here now, so uh, just it, it, things are incredible. And, and like I said, it's the most exciting time we've ever
1: had since I've been here in our program. Keith, this is another situation where there is so much more of that conversation and so much more of the experience that can't be captured on "quote unquote" uh, tape. Uh, it was a a really wide ranging conversation.
0: Yeah. Do you even remember which parts were on tape and, and which parts aren't? It, it's, I have
1: uh, to. I have to go back and listen to it before we do these things, just to make sure. And also, um, yeah, exactly. Some there's some off the record stuff there's some stuff that's you know what well, oh we went through this, right? This is your thing, especially uh, for background, not for attribution. this is all the sure. stuff that's uh, all the stuff that's on the record.
0: Yeah and and you know that happens you you some things come up in the course of conversation that uh, that you know you hope you don't say the wrong thing uh, when we're recording. but yeah you know, I, I got a, a lot of similar takeaways from uh, from Coach Walker as I did from coach Austin in the sense that um, they're both building programs in a conference with national championship contenders. And so, you know, the theme of this podcast, if we wanted to make this one a theme.
1: Each week in a program, of course, we choose a the theme, bringing different kinds of stories on that theme.
0: Is sort of how do, how do those lower to middle programs, or even when you get to the upper part of the middle, how do you make that jump to competing in, in the top of your conference? And what they were both saying is once you can compete at the top of your your conference, you can compete nationally because the, the American Southwest and, and the WIAC are some of the top conferences in the country. And and the other real huge takeaway I get from from both of the interviews is that, um, you know, when you we have this offseason interview, this chance to, to listen to the coaches speak in depth, and this is really the, the face of each program, it's kind of what these guys sound like out on the recruiting trail. And so you can formulate in your mind uh, what that pitch is. For for River Falls or what that pitch for Southwestern sounds like to an 18-year-old who's uh, getting ready to pick his college or I guess they might be 17 or 16 when they're when they're picking. But you know I doubt we have many listeners who aren't already affiliated with one D3 program or another. But it would it's interesting to put yourself in the mindset of a parent or a um, or a kid who's hearing Joe Austin or Matt Walker for the first time because their their charisma their enthusiasm for the program uh, in coach Walker's case, his honesty about how long it's taken uh, to, to rebuild you know I was kind of surprised he, he bit on some of those questions, but it also reveals uh, his honesty and openness. Uh, you know you get a sense by listening to these interviews, Uh, What that sounds like out on the recruiting trail and how it convinces parents. And so, you know, that's sometimes we can tell that a program or I shouldn't say we could tell because sometimes it doesn't pan out. But sometimes we have a pretty good sense from listening to a coach speak that that program is going to going to be pretty good pretty soon.
1: And River Falls definitely has the opportunity to do that. They were a a, a, a playoff contender. Now this is uh, more than twenty years ago. Uh, a high school classmate of mine played quarterback for them, Adam Cowles, and was in the uh, Division Three record book for a long time for most rushing yards for a quarterback. But you know that was a different era in Division Three where you know facilities. It didn't matter if you didn't have great facilities. And, you know, in a sense, I think it does now. You, we, we talk about the, the arms race uh, once upon a time. It was weight rooms, and then it maybe was oh locker rooms, and then there's one more oh video board in the stadium and just kind of general stadium upgrades and all that. And River Falls is kind of getting itself uh, up off the mat in terms of, of facilities kind of across athletics. But that is, uh, you know, you, you just can't really, in my opinion anyway, you can't really compete on a big time level with the kids that are coming out of high school these days if you can't show them something that is comparable to the other places that they're looking at. And I think that
0: you hit it right on right on the nose. You know, Coach Walker said this this has taken on too great importance, but you know, for better or worse, this, this is how important it is. And just imagine yourself again as a parent, as a seventeen uh, year old who's got. You know, you may already be disappointed that you're even looking at Division three schools because you had dreams of being a scholarship player. But you come to accept, hey, I still want to play in college um, and I have all these places that are interested in me. And then you go to Whitewater. It's got national champions all, all over the, the wall and, you know, a big Perkins Stadium. And you go to, you know, whether it's Stevens Point or wh- wherever, you know, he got into the, where some of the competition is coming from. And it's not necessarily – always uh always WIAC rivals right it can be D2 uh, schools in Minnesota it could be St. John's and St. Thomas but you go to those amazing sort of temples of D3 football right and then you, you can't you just can't you can say to the parents whatever you want you can have a great pitch you can um say hey we're, we're building something here you know you have a chance to play right away whatever all the great recruiting pitches are our style of play is fun you know you'll you'll be able to fit right in but if you come out there and you and you've been to St. Thomas and Whitewater as part of your visits just throwing those two out there and then you go to some place that's kind of run down i think it's just going uh, it to undermines everything you're saying about building you know it, it the having those facilities shows that your administration your school is committed to building the program, and you can almost ignore the previous year's record and focus on the future because you can envision it.
1: I told Coach Walker before we even sat down or before we turned on the tape that we were going to have to talk about DePaul, and uh, you and I have to talk about it as well. You know, this was a, a situation which was so mysterious and so hush-hush uh, that was it was just handled really strangely. And... um you know, I, I guess it was nice to hear him speak about it, even if it was not particularly um, specific. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can um, read between the lines a little bit, but it's from from being on the outside. You know, you just kind of you you don't know exactly what happened. You wonder what this what the school was doing uh, at the time. And remember, this is a, a school that had at some point become you're good for it, seven, eight wins a season. Um, and it crossed, it switched. Remember, from the SEAC to uh, to the North Coast. So it was really, a, really. By the time they left the SEAC, they were eight and two, eight and two, seven and three, nine and two. Their last four years, um, we're thinking this is like a, a nationally significant program. And then they went through all the ups and downs and uh, hit as low as two and eight in uh, in 2012. So to see them back and competing in the North Coast, it, it, it's it just makes the, because they have the huge rivalry with, with Wabash, it makes that better. You know, Wittenberg's always a contender. And now and even schools like Denison are, are competing. And so it just makes that a better conference because for so long it was, uh um, you know, Wabash and Wittenberg and whoever wins that game is pretty much in the, in the post season. Um, and now you have, you have sort of a wide open, uh, conference and some teams to get excited about. So I, I it was interesting to hear him, um, you know, reveal that he that that it was it was personal for him, and that he uh, you know still keeps in touch and is on good terms and all that because uh, and it's also cool, of course, to see that uh, you know that that Bill Lynch is back there um, and, and got that program back on its uh, where where people think it should be.
1: Now is the time on Sprockets when we dance. Now is the time on the podcast where we dive into Twitter. We know you still have questions, so we'll throw out that reminder to hit us up when it's time for uh, Keith. And time for me to step into the studio. Our uh, Twitter question this week comes uh, once again from Ud Do Little Dog, who asks: Schools ch- changing conferences. This is sort of a question. Schools changing conferences. Which were good moves, bad moves? Who could should move in the near future? Uh, I talked uh, a few months ago about my kind of fantasy three-way trade that would have kept Thomas More in Division Three, put them in the OAC, moved Wilmington back to the. Uh, to the heartland and uh, it's not really a three-way trade. Of course, it just requires a couple of moves. Um, We're, you know, we're a a season out now from the beginning of the new Mac. Uh, That's something where a lot of schools changed hands. Uh, What do you want to tackle Keith?
0: Well, I I think the first way to do this is to just list for people out there um, because I know if I have to keep it on a spreadsheet, our listeners certainly don't remember who goes where, when Uh, that's one of the first things you know, I know it's a new season when we start building that spreadsheet for kickoff. When I go, all right. So, how many teams are in each conference now? Because usually, you know, sometimes it changes. So, uh, the CCC added adds University of New England. That's a new program this year. Wash U joins the CCIW. ECFC lost Mount Ida when it shut down. Uh, the MAC adds Alvernia. MIAA gets Finlandia. The NAC and ACC gets Eureka. Uh, Farum joins the ODAC. PAC loses Thomas Moore, UMAC loses Eureka, USA South loses Ferrum, and then we only have one independent this year, Wash U and Finlandia both join conferences. That means Thomas Moore uh, is the only independent. So those are the changes, and it is the question which one of those moves made the most sense?
1: Well, Finlandia needed the conference most. It barely is able to keep its program... Uh, alive and was not able to field anywhere near a full division three schedule last year so that, that's one of the uh, the quick ones for me I think
0: I think Finlandia and uh, and Ferrum stood out to me. Ferrum is just a natural fit in the ODAC Southwestern Virginia uh, already plays Emory & Henry pretty much every year anyway so that's a natural rivalry short drive to to Washington Lee not that long a drive to to Bridgewater or Hampton-Sydney so uh, I feel like that's a natural fit there for a long time, and it was the same way when Shenando- Shenandoah joined the ODAC, too, and uh, now you know, when Catholic has left, uh, the ODAC probably needs to, to keep that membership up. The thing was, the ODAC was really trying, I think at one point, to, to keep its academic standing as high as possible, and so it may have um, thumbed its nose at, uh, at outside entrance, but uh, but I think Shenandoah and now Ferrum both make, mo- both make a lot of sense for that conference.
1: Thomas Moore leaving the pack is is good for the pack in a couple of ways. Obviously, it's it's bad for Thomas Moore, and I think it's just bad for Division Three that Thomas Moore is leaving, but uh, it does trim the pack down to a number of schools where you can play a full round robin, and I know we roasted the pack each of the last couple years for a conference schedule that did not, uh, you know, place two of the top teams against each other. That's when I
2: felt for leader of the pack.
1: That was a... Uh, that was a, a bit of a debacle. So at least it's good that uh, that's something that will come out of it.
0: Yeah, Pat, you bring up a good point. Almost every conference is between 8 and 10 teams. So that's a good number where you're playing 10 games. You have 7 to 9 games pre-scheduled. You don't have to have a lot of um, a lot of non-conference scheduling. Um, but you do have the flexibility if your rival is from a different conference or or there's someone local that you want to play. Uh, you know, you do have the flexibility with the schedule. The only ones right now um, over ten are the MAC because they add Alvernia. They were at the nice number of ten, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Midwest Conference, which is at, is at two divisions of six, so that's twelve now. But um, but yeah, the Pack getting down to it's not just getting down to ten, but that one trip each year to Crestview Hills, Kentucky, yeah. from Western Pennsylvania was uh, was quite a trip. Now the Pack is back. Centralized in, in in Western Pennsylvania and uh, in Northern West Virginia. Has that phrase ever been said before?
1: <laughs> the well, uh, yeah, they're, just, they're not. I'm just even trying it. to include Bethany. <laughs> the compact, the compact pack.
0: If you look back to where we were ten years ago, where you had four team conferences and and so they would win the conference championship, but there wasn't a playoff berth attached to it. And so you kind of I don't know how much credence you give that win. Uh, there were. Schools like Wesley, which had to just randomly take games across the country, they play Menlo and Huntingdon and DePauw and North Central. They play whoever would play them. Um, once you have conference um, alignment for almost every school in D three, it's really it's really better for each school because of the scheduling, because um, players are playing for postseason awards and recognition, and you just build natural rivalries. So all those things really really help.
1: Should I fire up the music and uh, talk about my opening every weekend?
2: Thought of yours is it's, of mine.
1: it's kind of like every thought I had about this weekend is going to go into this uh, final part of the podcast. Keith, I know I've talked with you a little bit about this. Uh, I'm going to be in D.C. again for the uh, final weekend of August dropping kid number one back off at college at a non-Division three school <coughs> in Washington, D.C. Uh, and you and I will get a chance to do a, a podcast together, I'm pretty sure, at that point, kind of really getting us ready for week one. But as I come out of there, there's some uh, awesome things I want to see. So I've got a couple of days to kill before football actually starts on Thursday night. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to stop at Marietta in Ohio uh, and get a look at that, uh, that gray and... Deep navy turf that they put in there. Have you seen that, Keith? I haven't. It is. It it looks really good. You know, sometimes the colored turf, like uh, Eastern Washington, right, is the one that has the red turf. I think mm-hmm. I think that stuff is pretty hideous. Um, but I think this stu- the stuff that Marietta has looks really good. So I'm I'm gonna stop by because it's on my way and take a look at that. That should be pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures. If uh, if nothing else,
1: we'll put them. Uh, we'll put a picture of it in the podcast page. I'm making a note that I've promised that because because <laughs> that's important. I hear podcasts say, "Well, you can find it on our website," and I'm like, "That is a thing we should do." And then I realize I have to then do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> from there, I'm going to head up to Canton, Ohio. I'm going to take a uh, really early look at Stag 2020. Uh, I've been doing this with uh, our other websites in the off season. Uh, I stopped at uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where the baseball championships are going to be for the next four years. Uh, actually, following Canton on this trip, I'm headed to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where the men's basketball championship will be for the next four years. So I'm stopping at Canton because uh, I've been intending to for uh, about six months and finally we'll have you know, more than six months. It's been longer than that. 18 months. I'll have an opportunity to do that. And since I'm going to be in Indiana, I'll start my uh, Thursday night in Division Three with uh, the game between Manchester and Trine. That's a Thursday night kickoff on August 30th. From there, I'm going to head up to see Milliken at Hope on Friday. That's not a particularly long trip, so that'll be good. And then my Saturday is kind of open, uh, especially because it's a long weekend. I don't feel like I have to be back and uh, sleeping in my bed in Minneapolis on Saturday night. So, yeah. Um, it's possible I could go see UW Oshkosh at Carthage on Saturday afternoon, or I might do a doubleheader in Chicago. And Keith, this is a, two stadiums that you and I kind of did the same thing at without football games. Uh, in the afternoon, I could see uh, Concordia Chicago hosting Beloit, and I could see uh, Anderson at North Park in the evening. I'm still keeping the list of the schools that I've seen, the teams that I've seen, the schools that I've seen football games at, and this would be an opportunity to really cut into that list quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I haven't added much to the list in the past few years, uh, just given the work schedule and and um, whatnot. But I've been to almost everyone you mentioned. Hope is a cool place to see a game and Holland is a cool um, place to be during the day. So if you're there with some time to kill uh, with a child or a family member in tow, you know, there's um, the, the, basically the heavy Dutch influence in that city. So there's uh, there's the, the windmills and the, tulips although i don't know if tulips are in bloom in september um at carthage carthage i've seen at night i feel like it's uh kind of on the water but there was no water visible at night that's obviously the best game too i think on your list although i'd like to see Milliken play and then we you mentioned uh being at um concordia chicago and north park i think both of those are um Again, places that we've been on the morning of a game, kind of as we're hustling off to another game. So yeah, to to actually see a game there might be cool, but yeah, you gotta one, you gotta figure out. Have you seen Anderson and North Park play before? Can you add those to your list? I I remember one time a long time ago we calculated like if you and I had each gone to a game a different team each week for fifteen weeks. In different stadium, like we'd be finished, we'd have seen all of D three by twenty eighteen, and so we, we <laughs> have not done that. I have not held up my end of the bargain, and we're not going to complete every stadium by this year. And even if we had, as we'll talk about later in the podcast, schools are redoing their facilities all the time, and so uh you know, what are you going to do,
1: Keith? We've talked about that already in this podcast. Oh my god, have we? I have no idea. <laughs> the uh, I keep uh, I still keep the list. I've seen one hundred and fifty four. Uh, active Division Three football schools. you know, uh, Schools keep dropping football or moving away from Division Three, so the uh, the goalposts keep shifting. But I feel good about that. That's like 61% of all Division Three schools I've seen. I've only been to 97. I have not been to North Park for a game. I've not been to Concordia, Chicago for a game. I've not been to Hope for a game. I've not been to Trine for a game. I could get over 100 in this trip, which is why I'm really, even though it's uh, a little crazy to do uh, those two games on Saturday. I've certainly done that before with hours of driving in between. So to do that with, you know, about uh, 20 minutes of the northern Chicago suburbs and then, uh, you know, north 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 side of Chicago specifically, uh, feels like that might be a little easier. And like I said, I don't then have to get in the car and drive up 90 and then all the way across Wisconsin to get home before I go to bed on Saturday night. So. Um, that's why I'm I'm thinking even though this is gonna be this would be a trip where I would see only one team that made the playoffs last year and maybe only a couple of playoff contenders that it might be really fun to see this kind of combination of games.
0: Well, and also the reason why you folks out there might care rather than just us talking about where we've been, you know, who, right? Who cares where we go? Well, part of it is we when we get to go to these uh, places we haven't been. Um, you know, the photos and the atmosphere that we're able to capture. And then, you know, you tweet out, we talk about it a little bit on the um, on the next podcast and you get a feel for what D3 is like in each, each individual locale. So one thing that was cool that you added in the last site redesign was stadium photos. So you can get a feel for each, each place, but that's still only one picture. So if you get to spend, uh, you know, a a significant time at Shrine and Hope and, Carthage, Concordia, North Park, or some mix of those schools. Uh, you know, we'll each get a feel for what game day is like on each and one of those campuses.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But I know that uh, even if I were to still try to somehow get to all of these campuses, I look at I look at this list, and you know, there's these big swaths of New England that I haven't seen, for example, and I just don't know when that would ever happen. But I still want to do it. So, you know, someday when I'm retired for real rather than the semi-retired I am right now, then uh, maybe that's a possibility.
0: Yeah, I always thought you could rent an RV and do it in the offseason, but it would be hard to get there for a game day. You'd have to just have more people fan out, I guess.
1: This was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 198, released on July 29th of 2018. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout what is left of the offseason. Frankly, we are in kickoff mode right now, so keep an eye on that. Purchase kickoff. We haven't said that enough in this podcast. It's been at least an hour since we said that. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast because that will help other football fans find it. You can leave comments on the blog page if you're looking at this on the website. If you're on Spotify, you could maybe help us out. We'd love to have you search for d3football.com podcast within Spotify. It is really difficult for an independently hosted podcast like ours, since we've had this podcast for 11 years now. uh, It's difficult for us to get into their index. You have to fill out a form, and then they don't even promise if you're actually going to get on the site or not. So if you search for us, maybe that'll help us get in there. Uh, The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman, production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Theme music by DJ Mentos, and you can find him at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Matt Walker and Joe Austin, for this time uh, and this edition of the show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. And you can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. and You can follow us on Facebook. We still have content on a regular basis. We still have podcasts on a monthly basis. We'll have one more monthly podcast in August, and then we're going to do our 16 consecutive weeks of podcasts once the football season actually starts. So keep an eye on that and consume all of the Division Three football content here with D3Football.com. i
0: going to consume some lunch now. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.